A number of years ago, I was, oh, are you, are you looking for a table? Is this your table? If you see somebody from your group come in the door, just wave at them so they can find you, okay? All right, so here we go. So several years ago, I was in a training, um, actually at the Barnabas Center here in Charlotte, and it was a training that um, is about um, really just how to enter into people's lives in a meaningful way, how to have good conversations, ask good questions, become a good listener. And part of that um, training was that we divided into small groups. And while we were in the small groups, um, our leader asked us a question. I don't remember the exact question. It was something about... Um, what was something that we knew that we did not do well or that was a problem for us when we, you know, tried to reach out to people. And so um, as part of that discussion, I confessed that there was something about me that was not very good. I mean, I was confessing sin about where my mind was sometimes when I should have been reaching out to another person. And a very dear friend of mine was in that group with me and she immediately came to my defense and said, oh, no, 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 you don't hardly ever do that. And I've never seen anyone be offended by you. And she was just all about protecting me from what I had just said. And I will never forget our leader looking across the room at the two of us that day <coughs> and looking directly at her and saying, in this very gentle voice, as counselors always do, um, we're not going to cover each other's sin. So that sort of took care of that for me that morning. Since uh, nobody was going to let her cover my sin, I had to own it. And today we're going to talk about how easy it is to reframe our sin. We're going to talk about what it means to understand the light and the darkness. We're going to talk about um, how to have a realistic view of fellowship with the Father and the Son. Are my slides flickering? They're okay. All right, thanks. Um, how to have a realistic view of fellowship with the Father and the Son and how to... Um, live in the light. What does it mean to live in the light? Now, last week, Lisa gave us a great introduction to the book of 1 John. I love that Lisa has a passion for bringing together all of that context and information that helps us as we get started to understand who's writing, who they're writing to, what the purpose was, what's going on all around them. And I just want to touch on one thing as we get started in this first chapter this morning. And I want to talk for just a second about who John's writing to and why he begins this first chapter the way he does. Remember that she told us that John is likely writing at the age of 88 to 93. He's an older, older man at this point. And so he is summing up his final words to the churches in the area around Ephesus. And she mentioned to us, I can't remember, 
Hold on, ladies. We're going backwards. Okay, here we go. All right. Okay, so she mentioned to us last week that there were themes in his writing of light, love, and truth, and that all of this was under the heading of abiding in Jesus Christ. So I want you to have that in your minds as you think about the fact that John is writing to sum up some final advice and counsel to these churches that are in the area around him at Ephesus. That's okay, we planned that. Think about the fact that much has changed since John walked with Jesus. It is now six to eight decades later. There are a lot of second and third generation believers in these churches. And as believers who are now much further down the road, we are generations and generations, thousands of years later, we can identify with what was probably going on in some of those churches. The freshness of their faith was probably diminishing somewhat. The convictions of the apostles who they heard from initially with all of their eyewitness testimony, they aren't hearing as much anymore as some of those men have died. Some lethargy and some boredom has probably set in, and it has replaced the excitement and the flames of devotion that everyone would have felt initially. So John is writing to revive that faith, that hope, and that love of his younger readers at these churches now. And this poses a question for us. I want you to think about this for a minute. If John were writing to us today, what would he say? I'm going to ask you to shout out some answers to that question in a moment. But Think about this as you're considering that. John is writing to redraw the lines for these believers that have begun to fade. He is writing to restate a worldview for them that knows the difference between right and wrong, the difference between love for the Father and the Son versus love for the world. And he's writing to show them the compromise that comes from the world of relativism in the culture that is all around them. He writes to encourage them to renew an authentic and contagious walk with Jesus Christ. So now let's answer the question. If John were writing to us today at New City Church, this group meeting on a Tuesday morning, what would he say to us? Exactly. You're living in the world, but not of the world. Other thoughts? You're firmly planted in the truth. Amen to that. Yes. Tell us to love each other. Exactly. So fundamentally, what John would say to us is the very same thing that he's saying to these believers in the first century. So I remind us of that so that we know 
that the words of scripture are as true now as they ever were. That even though it may look a little different to live in 2023 than it did living in 90 AD, a lot of the issues and problems of humankind are the same. They haven't changed. And so we need that same truth in our lives. So today what I want us to do in this first chapter of John is I want us to talk about two directives that he gives us for how we live our lives. And the first one is live in the future. Now, I realize that that sounds a little bit like how, how can we accomplish that? We live in the present. We don't live in the future. But I want to show you how our lives actually and how what Jesus has done for us and what we see in John's words right here are exactly living in the future. Glasses. So in the first four verses, if you want to read with me, he says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, a truly miraculous thing occurred in the midst of John's life. Jesus came. He walked the earth. And when John begins by saying, we proclaim the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have seen and heard, what beginning is he talking about? He's talking about the beginning, the beginning of the world, the time at which the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were together to begin forming the world around us. And he says, this one who entered the world existed from the beginning. He is none other than the eternal creative source of all things, visible and invisible. He is the one through whom all things are made, the one who designed and put in place the heavens and the earth, who made the light shine in the darkness, and who stepped into creation. The Son was as involved in that process as was the Father. Now, in John's Gospel, the first chapter of John's Gospel, he says this very same thing, a little differently, but says the very same thing. In the beginning was the Word, the word is who? Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So after John, in this first chapter, has described... Jesus was there from the very start of all of this. 
he goes on in verse 14 of this first chapter to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So why did John start his gospel this way? And why did he start his first letter to these churches this way? He is stressing the significance. He does not want them to miss or forget the fact that God stepped into human form. It is truly remarkable. Truly remarkable. It is almost unbelievable. And our response to that idea should be awe and wonder. Consider what we read in those next few verses. John says, this is who we have seen and touched. We heard his words. What, John? You, you touched him? You saw him and you were able to gaze at him? Not just glance at him and look away, but you were able to look deeply into his face? to see the authenticity of what was there, the sincerity, to hear his voice say the words that would be recorded for generations and generations. And John basically is saying, yes, we heard, we saw, we touched, we knew him, we were his friends, and we are still his friends. So, When you think about what really happened for John, and then you relay that over to what happens for you and for me, the future had come into John's present. This is how we live in the future. Because once Jesus came, once he became John's savior, once he entered into your life or my life, he shows us not only what our life is going to be like today, but he shows us, and John goes on to explain in the rest of this book, what our life is like as we go forward into the future. So we don't have to wonder, gee, what's it going to be like tomorrow? As much as we live in the present, we live in the future. And what he goes on to tell us in this chapter is that the present is transformed forever Because in the present and the future, we walk in fellowship with the Father and the Son. He continually forgives our inadequacies and our sins. And he gives us fellowship with one another as believers. At the end of John's gospel, he wrote these words. If all the things that Jesus did were written down, the whole world could not contain the number of books that would be required. Now, that's a lot of stuff that Jesus did while he was here. We only have a sample. We have the parts that God chose for us to read and to know. But the truth is, when we reflect on the fact that Jesus did so much that it would fill the world with books, what we can say is, We've not only seen the past of Jesus' life. We're not only living in the present of a relationship with him. 
but he has given us this beautiful insight into everything about our future. And our future is full of light and life and joy and hope. And so the rest of John's letter explains what he writes in verse 4 when he says, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy, so that you're going to get it, so that you're going to know the peace and the overall picture of Jesus having come for you. So we're going to move on now from living in the future to living in the light. And we're going to read verses 5 through 10, where John wrote, This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. Now, those five verses are all about the relationship between fellowship with God and Jesus and the amount of light that is in our lives. I like the light much better than I like the dark. I don't know about you. Ever since I was a small child, I have preferred the light. And we vacation every summer in a place in um, northern Ontario called Stony Lake. And this is what it looks like in the daytime. And it's wonderful because you can see everything. And that's really important on this particular lake because there's a reason that it is called Stony Lake. It has a granite bottom. It has islands all over it, and all of those islands are granite islands. And in addition to the islands, as you can see right here, they extend out into the water. Some of them are just, there are little islands all over the place that are just boulders that are sticking up out of the water. So if you don't know where the stones are, you can be in big trouble. So we love the daylight at Stony Lake. And we like it when the sun comes up in the morning because it starts to lighten our day. We know we can get out in the boat. We know we can jump in. We know we, we can be where uh, we won't be in any danger. But when night falls, here's what it looks like. And in this picture right here, you can only still see some shapes and forms because the sun has not quite fallen all the way before the horizon. So imagine what this picture looks like when the sun is gone. Well, what it looks like as we're laughing, but anyway. So the reason I show you this and talk about this is because people, amazingly, on this lake, they visit each other, they're good friends, and they go to each other's islands for dinner at night. 
And so it's not at all unusual at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night to hear boats motoring back and forth across the water in this darkness. Thankfully, a lot of those people have been on this lake since they were little children, like my husband, so they know where the rocks are. But do you see these little tiny lights up here? Okay, those are lights that are shining from cottages that are either out on an island or along the shore. And when you're out in a boat at night, that's all you see are those little tiny lights out on that water. Now, this is what happens in our lives. We can be in the dark or we can be in the light. We can be under gray clouds on a very um, gray overcast day or we can be in the bright sunshine. Never do we as believers have to stay in the dark. We now and forever live in the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the fellowship of the Father and the Son guarantees the light of Jesus in our lives. Now, when John talks about this word fellowship in these five verses, I want to be sure we understand the meaning of this. The word here is koinonia, which is the Greek word that means intimate mutual participation. It's the idea that um, we often would express when we take communion. The idea that we are so close to the Father and the Son at that point in time. And I would add to that, um, I've added the word solidarity up here because I think that's one of the only words in our language that probably accurately reflects what was really meant by this fellowship in the New Testament. It is a union, a bond that is due to strong common beliefs purposes. It's a spirit of trust. We very often use the word fellowship today for things that are much less significant. You know, we think of potluck dinners or meeting friends to go out for the evening or something like that, and we would call that fellowship. But what is meant by fellowship here in this first chapter is a very deep sense of abiding together of living together in hope and faith and joy. And in the next few verses, John paints a circle that moves around light and darkness and sin. Now, remember this about God being light. God is light because he is completely holy and pure. He is not simply the source of light or a being who is illumined by light or a reflector of light, he is light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. He emanates light in his motives and his actions, his words. He is all light, zero darkness. I don't, I don't know how to say this enough to get, this, to get across what John is trying to point out right here. He is all truth, nothing false. He is all clean, nothing dirty, all right, nothing wrong, all good, nothing bad. He is all light. In comparison, we aren't all light. We have weaknesses. In our human nature, we are fallen and we are a depraved people. So we have to recognize how our sin is exposed in the brilliance of God, God's light. 
And John identifies three ways that we deal with our sin and the light and darkness that it reflects. So I want to just mention each of these to you briefly, and then I want to show you the circle that shows how God completes this for us. First of all, there are some of us who ignore the light. We just kind of basically turn it off. We believe in Jesus, but we don't really want to see what the light reveals. So we avoid the truth. We avoid the word. Uh, We don't have a lot of contact with other believers. This is what's reflected in verse 6 when John says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we still walk in the darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. The second thing we do is we deny our need for the light. Basically, we think, well, you know, I've been a believer for quite a while. I don't sin anymore. And so we believe that that possibility of sin for us has been removed. This is a pretty extreme form of self-righteousness. And the minute we start thinking that way, if that thought has ever crossed your mind, turn quickly to 1 Corinthians 10, 12, where Paul warns, if you think you are standing firm, be careful, lest you fall. We'd never reach sinlessness in this life. And that's what John is saying as a warning to us in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then the last thing we do, and this is the one that we fall into the most often, is we rationalize our sin. We get really good at this, okay? So please don't think as you're listening this morning, oh, I don't ever do it, because you probably do. Um, We admit, we say, of course I sin. But you know, when I look at myself, I'm not so bad. I may have some weaknesses, but I don't sin a lot. You know, we kind of picture what's wrong as, well, it's not really not that bad, you know. And we get really good at this skill, and it leads us right down the path of compromise. Um, How many of you experienced the power outage here on Christmas Eve in Charlotte? Okay, about half of us did. Okay, so for those of you who didn't experience that power outage, bless you, because because your houses stayed warm and your lights stayed on. We did experience that power outage, and it got cold in our house very quickly that morning because the temperature outside was pretty chilly. And we had um, 10 people staying at our house right then, so that was a little tricky. But anyway, you know what? When When those outages first started, if you went to Duke's website or if you turned on the news, what you heard was that Duke was practicing intentional rolling outages or service disruptions. And it made it sound like, oh, it's not going to last very long. It's all part of the grand plan. Don't you be worried about that. My niece was out of power for 10 hours that day. But about 10 days later, the renaming stopped and the truth came out. And what we found out was that Duke had just flat out failed. They had not adequately understood or managed the power sources within their grid. And so what they had been calling rolling outages was actually dismal failure to meet their responsibilities to their customers. If we have people in this room that are that are emotionally attached to Duke, <laughs> I extend my apologies, but it is the perfect example of what I'm about to say. 
and that is that we rename things so that they feel more comfortable to us. You know, a rolling outage is so much easier to say than, man, we just really messed up here. So we do the same thing. You know, other pe- we say other people have prejudices, but we have convictions. Or we might say someone is conceited, but I have self-respect. Or that person didn't get that done because they were lazy. I didn't get it done because I was just too busy. Or when somebody else acts on their own to get something done, we may say that was very presumptuous of us. When we take those steps, we have initiative. Some people lose their tempers. We have righteous indignation. Do you see, do you see where I'm going here? Okay, so as long as we can rename or laugh about our sin, we don't have to do anything about it. We can continue to blame others or our circumstances for our poor choices. Everyone does. I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. As long as we continue in that grip of evil and sin, we remain sapped of the fellowship and the light that God is offering to us. So verse 10 is where it says to us, this is what we're doing. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Because you know what? We're sinners. If you came in here this morning thinking you weren't, I have bad news for you. We're all in there together. But it's not necessary for us to stay in that. It's not necessary for us to live in that darkness. There is a solution to this in verse 7 that we've already read. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So look at this picture right here. This is the answer. Once we have come to Jesus, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, and we have fellowship with other believers. But ladies, we don't ever get out of this part of the circle right here. We are always called to be in a position of confession and repentance and of examining ourselves to say, Lord, what do I need to see? Or as we read the scripture, to say to ourselves, how does this relate to me? But here's the really good news. Jesus is always in the process of forgiving and cleansing. It never stops. It started the minute you gave your life to him. It will never end until he takes you home. So this circle goes on and on and on. There is no reason to walk in the darkness. There is no reason to avoid fellowship with the Father and the Son. God has given us those two choices, the light or the darkness. And here's what they look like. I'm choosing the one on the left. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How much better to be in the light than in the darkness. So let's choose the light today. Let's start 
by being willing to self-examine and to ask ourselves, where am I allowing darkness to creep in? In what area do I rationalize my sin? And where can I choose to walk into the light of life in Jesus Christ? Let me pray for all of us before we go to our place. Father, we thank you for day, today, for your promises in this scripture. Lord, I thank you for this blessed example of light and darkness because it is so clear to us as we wake every morning to new life that comes from you. Father, bless us with the fellowship that comes with you and your son. Bless us with the fellowship that comes with each other as sisters in Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we never forget to confess before you. And then, Lord, to be always grateful and confident and assured in the fact that Jesus as our Savior is the atonement for our sin and death. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.